I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Thank you so much. Now, whether we like it or not, this is a significant time of transition for the church that meets here. After 13 years, your beloved pastor will be leaving and there'll be a strange swirl of emotions going through the hearts of many. There'll be a sense of loss, a sense of anxiety, maybe a sense of fear even of what the future might hold. So this is probably the ideal time to ask some big questions. Where are you going as a church? Why are you here as a church? What's your aim? What's your vision for the future? If you were to write it down now, if you were to articulate the goals of Ambassador International Church, what would you put down? You see, actually, this can be a very valid exercise. Now, I realize already some of you are going to begin to break out in a cold sweat because this is what happens at work. And you're expected to know and then repeat your company's goals like some sort of modern mantra. Indeed, it's a common business practice for a company to state their goals so everyone knows what they're working towards. And you'll no doubt be aware that the reason businesses have such goals and articulate them is so that everyone's energy can be directed, everyone's vision can be focused, and everyone can have a common purpose in view. They're able to say, this is what we do. This is what we're about. 
And in the life of any church, there can be great wisdom in adopting some of these particular practices by regularly asking the question, what's our aim in this particular activity? What's its purpose? Why are we doing it? Indeed, it can be quite frightening to do this with some of our well-established practices and meetings. Why are we doing this? What's the biblical principle behind it? But I'll go further. It's not only legitimate for the church to have aims, it's vital. And the reason I say that is because the church isn't a static organization. It's not like Kath's Baco building set. It's described, the church is described as a developing organism. And if it's to be moving, if it's to be growing, it's essential that we ask the question, where is it going? What are we developing into? Indeed, when we come to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we discover this language of movement and development as he describes the church is not only a body that is growing, but he also describes it as a building that's under construction. For example, there in Ephesians 2, verses 21 to 22, it says, In him, that is Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, and the word there is in the plural, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Therefore, it doesn't surprise us that as Paul goes on to talk about spiritual gifts and spiritual growth in chapter 4, that he tells us what the aim of the church should be. What's the purpose of those gifts? What's the direction of growth? How do they all fit in? Now, have a look at it. There it is in Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be reading here from the uh, NIV. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, I have to say the NIV translation doesn't quite bring out the clear threefold division that Paul talks about when he is describing the purpose of the church. Because three times he uses a little Greek word, it's ace, if you were to put it into English lettering, E-I-S. It, it, it introduces the goals of the church. It's a word that means into or towards. And he uses this three times. Now, so have a listen to the more literal, albeit more clunky, ESV translation of these verses. The, the version that you've got printed out in the church news sheet and that was read to us uh, just now. And you'll see what I mean. You'll see how Paul articulates the clear threefold purpose of the church. Verses 11 to 13, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain. Now, here it is, to 
the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to, the second use of this Greek word ace, to mature manhood, to, the third use of this Greek word ace, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what I want to do this morning is unpack the three goals that every church should be striving towards. It's what ambassador should be working towards. It's what actually you, as individuals, should be working towards as followers of Christ. So number one, it is spiritual unity. The first goal is spiritual unity. Paul says to unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Let me say three things under this heading. First of all, this is unity based upon truth. Unity based upon truth. You see, there's so much pressure these days to unite with all people of all different shades. It, it seems to be integral to the way that society now operates we're to accept everyone and to reject none. And we're to honor and we're to celebrate the choices made by others. But Paul speaks of the basis of true unity. He says it is the faith. And this expression was often used as a shorthand way of describing those essential, those primary salvation truths which form the foundation of our faith. So, for example, where the divinity of Christ is denied or his sufficient substitutionary death is ignored, then there can be no unity in the way that the Bible describes it. Indeed, the Apostle Paul regards deviation from the true faith so seriously that he says those who teach a different gospel are under God's curse. That's how serious it is. I suppose the best summary, if you would push me to give a summary of the true Christian faith is that Christians are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed by scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. The solas, as they're known, of the Christian faith. So where gospel essentials are shared, then we must unite actively. We may not agree on all the secondary issues, such as baptism, the second coming, spiritual gifts, or church polity, but where we are united in the faith, we should delight with our brothers and sisters and seek to advance Christ's kingdom and the cause of the gospel. So it is unity based upon truth. Second thing I want to say is it's unity expressed through love. Unity expressed through love. See, Paul is writing in the context of God giving human spiritual gifts to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers. And as these different people gifts do their work, building up the diverse body of Christ so that each can use their own God-given gifts, the goal is not chaos, but spiritual unity. 
You see, spiritual gifts are given to unite us, not to divide us. God's purpose for this fellowship is that there might be heartfelt, genuine unity as each speaks the truth in love. If there is divisions or if there's bitterness, then let's be clear that they form no part of God's plan for this church. There's no excuse for such things. They must be dealt with. They must be repented of. They don't further God's work. They only slow its progress. That's why the gathering of the church together can be such a powerful gospel tool. You see, different people, different backgrounds, different educational achievements, different ages, different life experiences, different economic positions, but all loving and accepting and blessing one another with genuine humility and grace. You see, that's the way that Jesus is seen. That's the remarkable testimony that a gathering of God's people to a divided and fractured and self-seeking world can come over. That's the way that gospel words are confirmed. As people come in and say, wow, they love each other. They're different, but they love each other. You can go, I imagine, to 101 different groups and social clubs in Hong Kong, each centering around a particular aspect, whether it's political or sporting or whatever. But here in the body of Christ, as the brothers and sisters come together, united by him, there there is such testimony to the power of the gospel. And can I just say in passing, I, 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 I don't know many of you, inevitably, and, and you may be here and, and you may be just looking in on what is taking place. You may not be a follower of Jesus Christ. You may not have repented of your sins and given yourself to the Lordship of Jesus. But I just want to say in passing, you may be a beginning to see that there is something different. That there is something remarkable about the gospel of Jesus Christ, about his life-changing power and what he does for folks who come to him. And you've seen something of it in the gathering of this company of people together. And I would just plead with you to think further and to seek God and to seek Christ and to come to him and know the forgiveness of your sins through him. And there are many here who would love to help you more and to talk about these things further. Talk to them how you might know this life-changing work of Christ for yourself. But you see, unity doesn't mean uniformity. We're different. We have different personalities. We respond differently in worship. We'll think differently from one another on secondary issues. But we stand together side by side in the truths of the gospel and nothing should divide us. See, that's why in the parallel letter to Ephesians, Paul tells the Colossian believers that they should forgive and forbear. Forgive when something wrong has been said or done and repented of, but forbear when differences arise amongst us which are of a secondary nature. For example, let me try and illustrate what I mean. I think the high point of musical greatness 
came from 70s rock in the UK. You see, I just think that's it. That, that was the high watermark of music, 70s UK rock. Now, you might disagree. You might prefer, I don't know, Taylor Swift, Ed Sheeran, Mozart, or Rachmaninoff. Yeah, and that's fine. Your poor musical taste will not stop me from loving you as my brother or sister in Christ. And hopefully you'll do the same with me. These things are secondary. And we delight in them. And we forbear with one another. And if at times you find that Andy Lou and myself will be celebrating the success of a football club called Spurs, then just go with it. We are different. And do you know the gospel means that even if there are Arsenal fans here in this church, they will be loved. And that is the power of the gospel. Okay? So it is unity expressed through love. Secondaries do not divide us. But thirdly, it is unity enhanced by experience. Unity enhanced by experience, because Paul places together spiritual unity and knowledge of God's Son. Did you see that? He says, two, unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And the word he uses here is not the common Greek word for knowledge, which is the word gnosis, but a special Greek word, epignosis, which carries the sense of a full and experienced knowledge. You see, it's not just knowing certain facts with your head, but it means feeling and living out that knowledge in every area of your life, fully knowing that knowledge. You see, the church will never have living, vibrant unity if its members are content with cold doctrine alone. Rather, when there is in the fellowship a desire for a deeper, a more real, a more personal knowledge and experience of Christ based upon his word, then the real unity won't be far behind. See, that's why small group gatherings for Bible study and prayer must be an integral part of church life because it's in that context that these things are worked out and expressed. It is as we not only grasp these wonderful truths, these great doctrines with our minds, but it's as we let them, as we marinate in their truths, as we let those truths soak into us and, and we live them out in every area that there is a greater richness and depth of fellowship and love with one another. And brothers and sisters, you know, one of the things that has encouraged me as we've looked at AIC is to see the place of small group work. And how the word of God is so central, getting together and sharing and helping one another in that way. So we've talked about spiritual unity. The second point that Paul identifies, the second goal, is that of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. He says, and become mature or to mature manhood. Now, what is maturity? So often people associate maturity with being boring or bald or gray or grim or something only possible after your 50th birthday. But, but this is 
so wrong. The Greek word for maturity is the word teleos, which carries the sense of when you reach your desired end or when you're fulfilling what you are designed to do. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, and this is one maybe, maybe some of the men here uh, will relate to. If there is a job that needs doing in my home, a, a, maybe a, a, a plug that needs changing and I just need to unscrew the plug, what do I do? Well, I think the toolbox is hidden away and it's going to take me at least two minutes to get the toolbox out and that's just too long. So what do I do? And what do you do? You go to the cutlery drawer and you take out a knife, the knife that you think is closest to looking like a screwdriver. Yeah, okay, yeah, we can do that. And so you do that and you change the plug or you try to, you know, you think this is going to work if I just keep like this. And the point is when that knife is being used in that way, it is not being mature because it is not doing what it was intended to do. But when you get a screwdriver out of the toolbox and you use the screwdriver, that screwdriver is being mature because it is doing what it was designed to do. In other words, a Christian is mature when they're doing what God intends them to do, what God has designed them to do, what God has gifted them to do. And Paul has already reminded the Ephesians that God has something planned for every one of his children. Ephesians 2 verse 10, where he writes, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And actually, he underlines it just two chapters later from the passage we're reading. Ephesians 4.16, he writes, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. How? As each part does its work. So if God has called you to welcome people at the door and to hand out sheets then do it. Don't preach. You see, you'll be spiritually mature when you are stewarding, and you'd be spiritually immature if you were preaching. Now, you may be thinking, oh, but to stand at the front and to preach from God's word, that's spiritual maturity. Well, it is if that's what God has called you to do. But if it isn't what God has called you to do, don't do it. You would be spiritually immature. But if God has called you to play an instrument or to sing or, or to do the PA or to provide the teas and coffees and do all these things, then do that. That is spiritual maturity. You see, spiritual maturity is doing what God calls me to do. And it should be the aim of every fellowship to see that the whole body is functioning as God intends. Each gift, each ability being used for his glory. You see, this church isn't a theater for inactive participation. These chairs are not like you would find in a theater, if you know what I mean. It's not just I'm going to come in, I'm going to sit down, and that's it, and I'm going to go. No, no, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, 
especially if you are a member of Ambassador International Church, there is a work for you to do. And you are being spiritually mature when you do what God has called you to do, what God has gifted you to do, what God has designed you to do. Sadly, what often happens in business is that people get promoted to the level of their incompetence. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's good at a job. Let's lift, promote him to the next level. And oh, he's doing that well. Let's promote him to the next level. And then he's at that level and he's just not hacking it. So you've got promoted to the level of your incompetence. And business, maybe it's unfair to say, but maybe businesses are full of people who've been promoted to the level of their incompetence. But my friends, this shouldn't be so in the church. Each one of us should be fulfilling our function without jealousy and with great joy, doing what God has called us to do for his glory and for the blessing of one another. Spiritual maturity, finally, thirdly, spiritual conformity, the third goal, the third purpose, spiritual conformity. Paul writes, to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. To the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, it sounds complicated. It sounds like one of those pious and cliched phrases that litter Christians speak. So what's Paul saying? What does he mean? Well, he's actually already written about the fullness of Christ earlier in this letter. It's there in Ephesians 1, 22 to 23. And God placed all things under his, that is Christ's feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As, as John Stott puts it, as his glory filled the Jerusalem temple, so today Jesus Christ, who is the glory of God, fills the church by his spirit so the fullness of christ is the church in other words if you want to see jesus today if you want to see if i could say literally the body of jesus today where should you look well the answer is the church absolutely so the third goal of this fellowship is to be like jesus to reflect his loving, merciful, gracious, holy character in everything that's said and done. We're to so operate as an active, unified, self-giving, loving fellowship that when the world looks on, it will see something supernatural, something that can't be humanly explained, something that is so much greater and bigger than being just a social club which is organized for our own convenience. Sadly, today in so many places and situations, the church has lost its vital edge and has become sidelined as an irrelevance. May it not be so here, in this city, at this time, for this generation and for this wider region. So will you please aim for these three things, unity, maturity, conformity, for these things matter. And your individual and corporate response 
will have a direct bearing, a direct bearing upon the honour and glory of Christ. Let me close with these words from Ephesians 3, just a bit earlier than the passage we're looking at here. Ephesians 3, verses 10 and 11. His intent was that now, through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see the way that Ambassador International Church operates will have a witness one way or another in heavenly realms for the glory of God. So may it be so here in this fellowship for our blessing, for our good, for our joy and for his glory and delight. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for the wonder of the church and what you've called us to be and do. And yet each of us individually, we're so conscious that we can be so full of self, so full of ego, so full of sin that we just go chasing our own agendas rather than yours. Please may the love of Christ get hold of us and constrain us and make us to be the people that we ought to be. Grant that we would know what it is to have spiritual unity. And Father, if there is division here for any reason, please, Lord, by your spirit, root it out. And please, even this morning, may there be confessions of sin and sadness to one another uh, between brothers and sisters who may be divided. Father, break down uh, those barriers, we pray, by your blood. And Father, we pray that there might be spiritual maturity in this fellowship, that there would be each one doing what you have called them to do, and so bringing you glory. And Father, we pray that there would be something of that spiritual conformity, being like Jesus, so that the world might see. And we ask it in his name and for his glory. Amen.